Hi, this is Pastor Austin from Connection Church. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our services, you can go to ConnectionNYC.com or check us out at ConnectionNYC on Instagram. Hope you enjoy it and hope to see you soon. If you guys have been here the past several weeks, uh, we've been going through uh, this sermon series that we've entitled The Church. And we've gotten to go through and kind of ask several questions of the church and allow scripture to explain what those are. Uh, We've gotten to learn about the structure and the intention of God's church, from what God expects of His church to how we're able to carry out His mission to where we should be found, even why God chooses to use us as His church. And while we've had uh, an awesome time doing that, um, one thing that I'm really excited about is to be able to go ahead and look at exactly what does this look like? What are some examples of what it looks like to be the church in action. Um, If you just notice me switch my hat around, that's me going into preacher mode, okay? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Bobby is actually recording in the back, and it's it's hard to see everything when my my cap is face forward. So he gave me the signal. So now we're locked in. We're ready to go. Um, If you would join me in Philippians uh, chapter 2, we'll be in verses 1 through 11. Uh, Again, if you've scanned the code for the lyrics, uh, or if you've gone to connection.family and clicked on the Sunday service button, uh, the, the passage should be at the very bottom. Now, I'm going to be transparent and say that I completely forgot to do the lyrics or the passage uh, until this morning. And so I asked Haley if she would do it. I think she did a great job. Are, are, is the passage at the very bottom there? Awesome. Look, I knew she would do it. I don't even know why I checked. I, I knew she could do it. Um, so, yeah, feel free to join me there. Or if you want to turn uh, in your own Bibles or if you want to go to your own version, feel free to follow along there as well. So starting in Philippians chapter 2 and in verse 1 says... So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In verse 6, Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for just our ability to to just come together and read scripture and just learn from you. Lord, uh, your wisdom, I just pray that it would be poured out upon us, God, that we would just soak it in, that it would be transformative for us, Lord, that we would use this truth and apply it to our lives and it would make an impact for your kingdom, it would make an impact in our lives, and it would make an impact in our church. Lord, we just pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a letter from Paul to the Philippians, and it's a letter of encouragement. 
It's one that is of this fond remembrance of a people that he had done ministry with. And as he's gone off and continued to uh, be on mission, he thinks back of this church uh, at Philippi and he thinks of them finally. And in chapter one, it talks about him remembering them finally and being grateful for their ministry. And so he chooses to send them this letter to encourage them to continue to do those things that they were doing when he was with them. And his appeal is one that really kind of goes against human nature but actually calls upon the desire of Jesus for his people and pulls at the heartstrings um, of those who love Jesus. And so if we look in verse one again, it says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy. And so he starts off by saying, if you are receiving from Christ, if you feel what I feel, if you are being influenced uh, by Jesus, if any of those things that are happening to you, if you're coming to church and you're feeling encouraged by your fellow believers, if you're hearing the word, if you're praising and worshiping, if any of these things are happening to you, then something else should be happening. And that is to complete my joy, which is a reference to the joy of Jesus, by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. I notice that things in our house, they always go much better when we are unified in our mind and in our hearts and in our spirit. The kids are happy and they play together. And if I had to pick one word to describe what it feels like in our home to be unified, I would use the word peaceful. Sometimes I sit around our apartment and I think it's quiet, too quiet. And it's because there's this time of unity that our family has when there's no, there's no uh, interests that are tugging at each other. There's, there's no uh, animosity between us. We're just unified, and it's absolutely peaceful. But it only takes one moment for that unity to dissipate. It takes Hunter throwing one toy. It takes me saying one too many jokes. <laughs> it takes... Colby getting really frustrated at her homework. It just is the most minuscule things that disrupt the unity of our home. And in that moment that unity is disrupted, everything that we're doing, either together or on our own, is just immediately paused. The second that we lose unity in our home, we are paused, just freeze-framed in whatever moment we were on in our own individual workings or workings as a collective until we can get that unity back. So when the kids are fighting, I have to pause what I'm doing and I need to go and I need to explain to them how to get unity back, how to reconcile to one another so that they can quit fighting. Uh, when I've said one too many jokes, I have to realize, okay, you pushed it too far and I have to say I'm sorry and I have to do that so that I can be reconciled with Haley or with the kids and we can get unity back. So if we want to look like God's church, if we want to serve God in the way that he's called us to serve, we have to be unified. We have to be unified as a church. You see, our common enemy knows that he doesn't have to pull us away from what we are doing or convince us to not live for Jesus. If we follow Jesus for a long enough time, if we have a strong church like we have, he knows he's wasting his time by trying to convince us not to follow Jesus. But if he can just introduce the slightest amount of disagreement, right, the most minuscule amount of frustration with one another, then our church and the mission that we're living for Jesus is instantly paused instantly pause until we can work together to regain unity. So Paul's encouragement here is if, if you feel what I feel from Jesus, if you see Jesus's example, if you see his life and you are receiving life from that, from one another and from Jesus himself, then let's complete 
his joy, complete my joy as the person who taught you these things, and be of one mind. Be unified. Be unified. So we typically use this, or we lose rather, this unity when our interests don't align. We can be unified, right? When, when Colby and Sawyer and Hunter all want to watch the same show, easy to be unified, right? They all pick Spidey and his amazing friends, awesome. But if two out of three picks Spidey and one picks Monsters, Inc., we've lost unity. And then we have to figure out how, how are we going to do this? And we actually had a conversation in the car on the way over here about what it meant to, to look to others' interests, right? To, in order to keep unity, what does it look like to not just think about ourselves, but to think about others? And so what does Paul have to say about this? If we're going to remain uh, unified as a church, then we have to look to the interests of others. So how do we do that? In verse 3, it says, do nothing not do some things, not do every once in a while make this choice, right? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. There's a balancing act that's going on here of what Paul is talking about. He doesn't say, never look to your own interests. He says, look to your interests, but also look to the interests of others. He says, do this in humility. He says, count others as more significant as yourself or than yourself. He doesn't say, don't count yourself significant at, at all. He says, count others more significant. And so oftentimes we find when we're walking with Jesus, it's this really, really difficult balancing act and I often uh, kind of visualize it as kind of standing in the middle of a seesaw with people on either side, and, and they're kind of bumping the seesaw up and down, and you, you lean one way or another, but it's your job to balance and try to keep it as level as possible. Oftentimes we see people in our churches, we see Christian leaders, we see people in our culture say, only this way is right. And we see people on the other end of the spectrum saying, no, only this way is right. When often if we're trying to follow Jesus, we're going to find that that challenging central balance is where we should be. And so that's the idea of it saying, don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit. In other words, don't put yourself first, but don't forget about yourself. And the thing that really makes this tricky is this countercultural idea of humility. Humility is having a low view of something in comparison to something else. So we're not being called to have a low view of ourselves, period. That's the end of it. We're being called to have a lower view of ourselves than others in our church. And by being able to do this, we're able to do these things in humility and to be perfectly candid and to be completely transparent. I actually struggle with this a lot. When I'm not careful, I tend to struggle with this in that I have an extremely high view of other people. So much so that I have a passion to serve them, to platform them. Everything that I do, whether it's ministry, business, I'm always looking to equip others and, and basically see their dreams come true. My model is how can I help them make their dreams come true? And I love it. And from an external view looking in, it looks like, wow, that's so selfless. But no matter how high of a view I have of other people, if I'm not careful, my heart makes me think of myself as higher than them. So what this might look like is, man, I've equipped all these people and I've done all these great things, but like, 
when do I get mine? Like, when, when are people going to come back around and take care of me? I've said that actually several times to Haley. I was like, you know what? I feel like there's a lot of people in my life that I'm able to care for, and that's awesome. I love it. But, like, who's, who's going to take care of me? When does that happen? And that's me getting to a moment where I've been trying to do all this on my own. So when we don't lean on Jesus, no matter what our personality is, whether it's on the front end or like mine in retrospect on the back end, we will make it about ourselves. If we do not lean on Jesus, whatever we are doing, we will make it about ourselves, either because of our selfish nature or because we won't be able to move past what we can do on our own. But if we lean on Jesus... He takes us to places we could never go. And in retrospect, we don't say, when do I get mine? We say, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm I'm here. There's no way I could have gotten here on my own. And so oftentimes I can become really frustrated and I have to remind myself, wait a minute. God has called me to humility. He's called me to look to the interests of others. And he's called me to, to rest in him, not in what others give me. So the second thing our church has to do, if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to be God's church, we have to be humble. We have to be humble. And it's difficult. It's not easy. It's challenging. But it's the example that Jesus gave. Jesus counted him others more important than himself, so much so that he was obedient to death on a cross. Jesus was so humble that he actually made himself a servant. He didn't just say, you know what, I'm going to look to the interests of others. He said, I'm going to do and take every single part of my life and give it to others and serve them. In verse 6, talking about Jesus, it says, Who though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. When I was a kid, a teenager, kid, I don't know, I'm 32. I think anything under 25 is a kid now. Uh, when you get older, you get to say kid and apply it to a much larger age range than you ever have. Um, so I'm 32, so when I was a kid, I don't know when this movie came out, but uh, my sisters and I, we really, really enjoyed like sports movies, we enjoyed um, like dance movies. Like uh, the thing that we watched the most, it was like we were watching You Got Served, Stomp the Yard, um, like all these kinds of like Glory Road, Miracle. One of the movies that we watched a lot uh, was Coach Carter. Have you guys ever seen that movie, Coach Carter? Samuel L. Jackson. It's the story of him kind of coming back to his high school to pour into students uh, to help them get better at basketball, but mainly to give them a role model, somebody that they could look to. Uh, that looked like them, that was successful, that he could encourage and hopefully have some rapport with the students. And he kind of hits a wall at the beginning, but he works past that. They, they do these super hard basketball workouts, and they win their first game, and they win it pretty significantly. And then they go on to win a few more games, and the coach notices something. He notices that within the game, his team is playing so well, and they have such a comfortable lead, that they start trash-talking the other players. You can't guard me. Look at the scoreboard. Game's over. Better go start the bus. Stuff like that. And so it's the next practice where Coach Carter goes above and beyond bragging about things that you just wouldn't normally brag about down to the point where 
It's, it's very comical. And if, you, if it's the first time you're watching through the movie, it's confusing as well. Um, but he's talking about a play that he drew up. And he's like, look at that play. I did that. I drew that play up. Run it again. And then and he says, all day, baby, all day. And the, coach, or the players are like, okay, boy, this is weird. And then finally one of the players is like, hey, your shoe's untied. And he goes down and he ties his shoe and he stands up and he says, look at that bow. I tied that bow. And then the players kind of all freeze at this moment. And he kind of explains why he's acting so goofy. And he explains it by telling them that they won four games the year prior. Four. And he says, what gives you the right to take basketball, the game that I love, and, and basically ruin it with trash talk and taunting? So this team had gotten to the point where they felt so great about themselves, which is good, but there was no balance, right? They're on this opposite end of the spectrum where maybe they felt terrible about themselves last year. Now they feel so good that they're taking accountability and responsibility for all the good stuff that happened and not respecting the game of basketball as a whole. And so one thing that I struggle with when I'm not looking at Jesus is I tend to have that same attitude where I say, look, this is about me. Look what I did. Look what I gave you, God. But when we look at the example of Jesus, it's one of a humble, humble nature that turned himself, even though he was God, he never considered that something that was actually his. He never considered equality with God something to be grasped. But he humbled himself, he emptied himself, and he gave everything to us. So in the moments where I feel like, when do I get mine? When is it going to be about me? I just have to remember to look to Jesus. And I have to challenge myself to be like him. In verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If our church is going to be the church that God has called us to be, what it looks like for us to do this, to take it and put it into action, we have to be a servant. We have to be a servant. Jesus had everything. He gave up everything. He poured his heart and soul into his life and ministry on earth. He drained himself, was brutally murdered, defeated death, and the profit for all that was given to us. He did all those things, and yet he was such a servant that after he endured an entire life of ministry, after he endured uh, a brutal death, after he did all these things where the glory and the honor should immediately be given to him, the profit should be given to him, the life should be given to him, the, the nature of just praise and worship given to him, he, he said, here you go. It's actually, I did all that for you. I want you to have life. Jesus made himself the servant. Because he counted us more important than himself, even when it meant that he had to die on the cross. So what happened from there? In verse 9, because we know all these things, we know the example of Jesus, because we know that he was uh, unified with his people, because he was humble and because he was a servant, that he looked to others' interests and he served them. In verse 9, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ 
is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You see, to the world, and especially in his time, Jesus looked like a fool, a fraud, and his gain was not in this world. As he went from town to town and ministering and people tried to exalt him and he did everything that he could to make sure that the timing of, of, of people really realizing who he was was perfect in God's timing. And as people wanted to give him things and he denied those things and as people wanted to tempt him and say, I'll give you the world. And he said, I don't need the world. His gain was not the world. It wasn't of this world. His gain was that God was going to exalt his name above every name. Jesus didn't get caught up in what the world wanted to give him. He focused and remained intent and studied and prayed and worshiped God so that he would remain focused on what his gain was going to be, which was from God the Father. So we have to decide if we want to see our gain here or if we want to see what gain God has prepared to give us over the course of eternity for our faithfulness and willingness to be unified, to be humble, and to be a servant. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus, but also just the example of Jesus. God, for the way that he loved us. Lord, for the way that he poured into his disciples. For the way that he just gave us a perfect example of what it looks like to be the church. God, that he is seated next to you on the throne. And God, that he is you, but he didn't count that as something to be grasped. God, he didn't count himself equal to you. Even though he was God, he became a man and he gave everything to us. So God, I pray that we would be encouraged by that. Lord, if there is encouragement, if there is participation in the spirit, God, if we feel you, if you've if you've connected with us and we've connected with you and you've transformed our lives, God, I pray that we would use that as an opportunity, Lord, to be platformed by you. God, I think often we come to church and we think of church as this place where we're encouraged and where we're equipped and where we're made to feel better because we can feel your spirit. And God, it is all of those things, but it is those things for a reason. God, we're not meant to come here and receive all those things and keep it to ourselves. God, we're meant to come here and allow that to transform us, to encourage us so that we can go out and just like Jesus did, Lord, we can work to be unified, we can be humble, and we can be a servant of everyone we come into contact to because, God, we are not encouraged and we are not charged up and we are not platformed by people. We're platformed by you. God, I pray that we would never forget that, Lord, that we would rest in you and that you would equip us to do things beyond our wildest imagination, God, things that we could never think possible. Lord, I pray that you do that work in our heart. Transform us even now as we are in your presence, Lord, and equip us and prepare us to go out into our neighborhood and impact others for your glory and for your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.